Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Saloni. And I'm Nick. And today we are thrilled to have David Tolchinsky with us. David is a screenwriter, sound designer, and playwright, authoring several original screenplays, including The Last Crash and Reflections on a Teenage Antichrist. Additionally, he serves as the chairman of Northwestern University's Department of Radio, TV, and Film. He is also a graduate of Yale University and USC's School of Cinematic Art. Finally, he is the parent of CMC sophomore Zane Tolchinsky. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. It's my pleasure. One of the questions we like to ask our guests is to talk about an inflection point, a place where they had to pivot or adjust in their career or personal life. Can you share a moment like this with Sure, I can share two. Um, (laughs) Coming out of college, I actually got into an electronic music graduate program. I got into a graphic um, computer graphics program at MIT, and I got into USC film school. So that kind of tells you I was thinking about (laughs) all of these things, and I think probably the draw of Hollywood and USC was too hard for me to turn down. But I went there thinking I might compose music for my classmates projects, but then started to really get into first documentary experimental and then screenwriting. And then after school, things didn't change. I was still composing and now writing screenplays and having to decide where am I going to put my career um, uh, energy. And I think I chose screenwriting, but in the background, I've continued to do sound design and music, as you've talked about. What I mean, what about Film, since I mean, I mean, film and TV seems to kind of be what's predominantly in your wheelhouse. So you um, do other stuff with performing arts. What about film as opposed to a different medium kind of appealed to you and and that makes it an interesting medium to study? Um, Wow. Uh, So much to say about that. Well, first of all, I grew up in a household where the only activity, as far as I could tell, was watching movies. My (laughs) dad was obsessed with them. So it's just, you know, you're, you're kind of formed by your childhood. And for me, I think it's movies are like dreams. They're you know, immersive. They're also very political, as I'm going to talk about in my talk today, that you actually can express what you feel about the world beyond just a particular story. And I think it involves visual representations. Some things are done with sound and some things are done with story. So there's so many different things that you can play with. The thing that about theater though that I like is that it's that live thing with a <laughs> audience and you never know how it's gonna be and then it's and then it's over and also you respond to the audience's energy. You don't get that with film, but you do get the kind of lasting uh effect. And also I've had screenings of films where are you oh it's <laughs> they love it. Then the next it's the same screening, but then it doesn't fly the same way. And it's fascinating how the same piece of work can be conceived differently or perceived differently by different people. Was, was there any movie or even like a scene in a movie growing up that you watched and kind of after you had seen it, you knew that film was something that you wanted to to look into more going forward? Uh, yes, actually, I'm going to show a clip of that today when I talk at the ass series i'm going to show something from uh, uh invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. there's a scene where the main character is running with the uh main female character and they're running from the aliens and suddenly they fall down and he kisses her and suddenly realizes she's no longer human and the 
giant close-ups of each of them I thought was amazing and interesting and like there's nothing like that in real life where where things are portrayed in this kind of bigger than life and also I think it's the, the sense of horror and a lot of what I do is on the dark side horror and psychological thrillers and the idea of suddenly the world isn't what you thought it was mm -hmm. and you feel separated and, and frightened was a very powerful thing for me and I was like wow I'd like to be part of I don't know why I would like to be part of scary feelings but I <laughs> thought they were very powerful. Yeah, when it comes to composition have you found any similarities with kind of what you do when you compose music or your music background or passion and then screenwriting sure absolutely and i talk about that in my screenwriting class i think people who've been trained in music understand the structure of a song or a sonata how things repeat how lines you know har harmonies and lines kind of build on each other and then it comes to a crescendo and then also you have very quiet sections and i think that's not unlike a film where you have the very quiet parts and then you have lots of things happening at once and then you want to go back to a very quiet part so i think we talk about musical structures i also talk about scientific structures and physics as a model for what we might do in screenwriting anything you can do to help you understand your art better so we grab whatever structures and i think about it all the time um my daughter actually gave me a book on seven principles of physics and one of them was about how electrons don't exist unless they're in relationship to other electrons and that got me thinking about characters like does a character really exist unless they're interacting with someone else and then the other thing is you know the the micro level of a the universe is it the same as the macro level and in screenwriting we talk about isn't a scene the same thing as an act the same thing as the whole film and they're just different versions of each other so music physics all of it is applicable hmm. I mean, I think, and again, this is what you're talking about later tonight in your talk, which mm -hmm. is kind of the the political side of these films. I mean, I think of, I mean, kind of some of the famous like German expressionist films, those early ones, Metropolis or the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or I mean, kind of the ones that were coming out when it was still silent era, um, yet were so reflective of the period and the culture and, and, you know, kind of the people they were created for. I was just wondering if you could speak to that and perhaps some trends you've noticed about, uh, you know, modern films, both in the United States and kind of in, in mm -hmm. the international community and how the themes differ and the mm -hmm. techniques differ. Um, you know, what I'm going to talk about is in the 50s, you'd see a lot of films that were if there was an invader or an alien, with some exceptions, often they were thought of as an evil force that was supposed to be repelled or destroyed. Coming into the later 60s, I'm going to show Star Trek, where mm -hmm. there's the idea that you don't have to be afraid of outsiders. There's the possibility of collaborating together. So thinking about the political world, you know, the Cold War and McCarthyism versus what was opening up in the 60s. And then I'm going to talk about stuff like in the 70s, I think people were very open to an open ending, meaning the story didn't all have to fit into a little box and it's all done. Mm -hmm. They were okay with thinking like, oh, I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but I'm enjoying thinking about it. And then somehow in the 80s and 90s, suddenly everything had to be all wrapped up for us and I think that is that's political as well that's like you think the world is simple these are good people and bad people and the bad people are destroyed versus the world is complex I'm not sure what I want to happen 
for any of the people in my movie. And then I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about how the level of empathy you have for your antagonist, or I call them the other, is a real key into the politics of either the filmmaker or the time, whether they're just a force to be obliterated, like in the 50s, whether they're still supposed to be imprisoned, but you feel bad for them. And then I'm going to show a movie, the, the History of Violence, where someone's a horrible killer, but the family rather have that person back in their household than off in prison or killed. And that shows like where the idea of the other being someone separate versus being part of the household. And then I was thinking about Fruitvale Station, you know, that movie mm -hmm. where there is no other, that this guy is a nice guy out with his friends, but because of his race, because of bad timing, he's mistaken for the other and is killed. And there's an example of where everything seems to be flipped in my mind. And then the other thing I was thinking about trends is in the 40s and 50s, you would see movies like Casablanca and It's a Wonderful Life where just sacrificing was reward enough. So in It's a Wonderful Life, he realizes, no, my, my little life isn't worthless. In fact, my whole town was changed because of my existence. Casablanca, he gives up the woman he loves. He doesn't get on the plane with her, but he realizes he's sacrificing his own happiness to get back into the war and help that war effort. But if you look at the 90s onwards, you can sacrifice, but we still expect that we're going to be rewarded either financially or with the person we love at the end anyway. So Erin Brockovich, she sacrifices her life to help these kids with cancer from bad water. But then at the end, she gets, you know, handed a check for $2 million. A family man with Nick Cage, he goes back in time and gives up his life as a Wall Street stockbroker and gives and to to choose the person he loves. And then, in fact, he becomes a stockbroker again in this new life. So, again, he has it all. Um, and so that's a question as we move forwards. What do people expect from movies? Do we no longer value sacrifice for its own sake? And do we expect to also be rewarded financially or romantically for um, for that uh, sacrifice? Would you say that kind of ex expectation is different in other countries? Um, I mean, obviously Hollywood is mm -hmm. kind of at the forefront of of the of the largest movies, but in smaller indie film indie films and, and fairly large foreign films, would you say that kind of that plot structure differs? Um, I would say that there's kind of a trope or a joke that the European film, I think connotes something either sadder or more real than an American film. So The Descent, if you know that movie, is a little horror film that came out in the early 2000s. The European version is She Dies. And that was fine. In the American version, they're like, oh, no, Americans wouldn't <laughs> accept this. So she has to escape from the monsters. And I think things are changing. I think the accepting a sad or real ending used to be a European thing or maybe even the 70s thing. And now I think you, you can tell me more. But your generation, I think, is more able to accept that things don't fit into boxes. You know, some movies are sad, you know, and that's okay as long as it's interesting and gets you um, to think. So I think, yes, there is a difference, but I think hopefully things are kind of coming together in an interesting way. Yeah. yeah. So like you discussed, film clearly reflects kind of the attitude or um, the politics of the time period or the generation, but how much do you think that works in reverse? Like film has an impact on the 
kind of maybe de- destigmatize certain things or to uh-huh. bring something into the mainstream? Sure. I'd like to think that seeing a movie like Fruitvale Station, seeing a movie like Moonlight, um, a movie like 12 Years a Slave puts things either back into the consciousness or thinking about it and like, and this isn't right. Things have to change. Um, I think there's a lot of examples of, of movies where they help to agitate and politicize people in a way that they weren't before. And that's always exciting when that happens. The other thing we haven't talked about is sometimes there's the politics of the filmmaker is in opposition to the politics of the studio. The studio tends to think less of you than the mm-hmm. filmmaker. The filmmaker thinks you're really smart and can deal with a work of art. The studio sometimes feels like, oh, you need the happy ending. Um, and I'm going to show many films tonight where they had two different endings depending on the studio and the filmmaker. So when you watch a movie, you might be looking at the politics of a filmmaker, but it might be this kind of negotiation between commerce and art. And again, we hope that as everyone realizes that really artistic movies not only are great, but they sell and they make money than like a film like Moonlight. Who who knew that that would be this amazing success that it was? And um, and I think the studio will be like, oh, okay, next time maybe we can be a little bit, well, a darker movie or something that isn't quite so happy. And people have been talking about uh, Black Panther, you know, and, and Wonder Woman as, you know, whether it be a female driven movie or something where it's not a white male that's running the movie. I think hopefully there's an openness to see the world. And that's, I think that's what mostly my talk is about is an openness to see different kinds of people and to understand them and not just want to say this is black and white or this is antagonist protagonist, but the world is actually a complex place. And I think that leads to greater understanding all around and the world is a better place, but that's, that's my politics. (laughs) I mean, since so many movies are based off of some sort of source material, whether that's a, a book or, you know, even a previous film. How how do directors and screenwriter screenwriters balance the politics of whoever created, you know, that source material originally and I mean the era in which that material was created originally and and make that work in in a contemporary context? Wow, that's that's a really complex discussion because, you know, there's people who wanted i think they did put out a version of mark twain's work Mm. changing the language and then there's people like you know no it has to be representative of what it was at the time it loses its meaning i think for me the job of the screenwriter is to identify what's the kind of spine or question that the author is trying to answer and to try to stay true to that um, and then to build the adaptation around that or at least that they're not doing damage to the work. Um, And then in terms of updating politics, I think it's maybe like, you know, putting on Shakespeare in different (laughs) eras that, yeah, I guess there is some leeway, but I would just say you have to be careful that you're not putting a meaning onto a work that it was never intended to have. So do you have a particular film you're thinking of or an adaptation? Hmm, I'm trying to think of a, of a specific one um, that's come out recently. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to, to, to actually think of one. I should have come up with this in advance, but um, do, can you think of one Saloni that's come out recently that was based off a, a book? Yeah. Call Me By Your Name. I know it was based mm-hmm. off a of book, but I don't know if too much was really changed or adapted. Um, actually, people said it was more about the internal 
don't know if it's the politics weren't changed, but it's the, you talk about what a movie can and can't do. A lot, some people thought that parts of the book were lost because mm-hmm. it was built on a certain kind of language. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, so I can't talk yeah, you know, precisely neither. about that. Um, sometimes a movie, you can, you can pull out the plot from a novel, but you don't get the kind of language and sometimes you actually have to change the language to make it work as a movie i know adapting plays into films there you know one is more verbal and in a film you can actually use visuals to represent what is normally a line of dialogue so yes mm-hmm. there has to be some changes um but again i i feel like you know i have adapted a novel girl and i tried to figure out what Blake Nelson, what the novel was trying to say. And I actually chose a part of the novel where this woman was becoming obsessed with this local rock star. And for me, it was the beginning of kind of, you know, when does codependence start? And oh, 16, what's going on? And that was a really interesting question to me. And I think it was in the book. His book was about bigger stuff, you know, different, you know, groups that you encounter in high school. But that's the part I was um, interested in. But the part that I added to is I thought filmically to have this woman kind of running a lot gave, I thought the energy of the film could be built around her kind of frantic search for this guy. And that's not in the book, but I don't think it changes the meaning of the book. Mm -hmm. It just kind of thinks about how, what would work in a film setting versus in a, um, in a novel. I know mental health is an issue that you've Mm -hmm. been um, focusing on a little bit Mm -hmm. recently. And I was wondering if, because I know that, again, is an issue that I believe has been destigmatized quite a bit by Mm -hmm. media recently. Definitely a lot more work can be done, but I was wondering how much, yeah, how much you think film and media has contributed to how mental health is now discussed or seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I'm fascinated by the way psychiatrists and um psychiatric sessions are depicted in movies and there's some that i think are good (laughs) and true like maybe ordinary people as an example i think was good but the ones i even think aren't so good i was talking to psychiatrists at northwestern where i work and they were like oh we love it was the the robin williams movie um you know goodwill goodwill hunting and they're like no that's not that realistic of a scene but how great for a psychiatrist to watch that to say what isn't realistic and also if you have a kind of violent or aggressive patient what do you do with them so i think kind of as a teaching tool it's interesting and then just as you're talking about seeing how our attitudes change about psychiatry in the 40s psychoanalysis was like held up as like the new like einstein you know amazing science and then it was kind of poked fun of and then i think now it's more of a kind of eclectic approach and my particular interest in it is besides that i just think that psychiatrists are interesting characters because they're the character you're going to tell your intimate secrets to so i thought wow that's a great device to have on a screenplay and then i studied with spalding gray who did monologues and he said i would go to my psychiatrist and whatever the psychiatrist would laugh at (laughs) that i would tell him i would put that in my monologue so kind of i thought that was interesting that just as a springboard for creative process and then the other thing i'm really interested in are these i don't know if they're new diseases but i think there's a lot of things people are complaining of where doctors oh we can't really find a test for this we're not saying you're not suffering from chronic pain or from sensitivity Mm -hmm. to perfumes but no one knows is this a mental illness or is this some kind of undetected physical illness or is it a 
physical illness with some kind of stress triggers. So I'm very interested in writing about things like that. My um, play that I'm writing right now is about Wilhelm Reich, who was in Freud's inner circle, but a lot of his work was about detecting that there's some kind of backed up energy in our bodies that need to be, <laughs> we all don't feel good and we have to, you know, massage it out. And in general, I'm interested in the concept of what does it actually mean to be healthy right now? Is it mean, oh, if I take a pill and I feel okay, like I take Prozac, am I okay? Or is there some other layer of wellness that you like it's not that you're just covering it up, but is there some sense of being well that has to do with the contemporary times? And also these diseases, are they have something to do with contemporary times that we're not feeling well or, or that our bodies are reacting? So again, I don't know if it's physical or if it's environmental, but I'm fascinated to think about it. Well, we'd like to conclude uh, each of our interviews with a question about what is your personal definition of success? Wow, that's... Uh, you know, I hate, I hate to say it, but as a, I don't hate to say it, but as a parent, if your children are happy and healthy, you you feel happy. And I think if they're not, you don't. Uh, uh, broader than that is if I'm waking up every day and I'm excited to work on my screenplay or play or collaborate with my spouse, Deb, that we'll work on films and installations together. That's an amazing day. If then part, that's part of the day and I'm also teaching students and I'm excited about that, that's amazing. So that feels pretty successful. But then to actually see your movies or your plays made and to talk to people that have been touched by them, you know, whether it be one person or a thousand people, that's another definite definition of um, success. You know, there's the monetary fame thing. And I think that gets less important. It's more like you're just, for me, it's, I want to make meaningful works of art in whatever sphere that will, I'll be excited to watch. And, you know, I'm working on a film right now that I just, every frame, I'm just like mm. obsessed with it. And then if it affects other people, that's amazing too. You know, so that's, I think that's my definition of success. Great. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. But uh, thank you again for joining us. And to all our listeners, remember to stay hungry.